Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Thank you, Jesus, for this day that you've given us. Thank you for our community. Thank you for your goodness, God, and your grace towards us. Thank you that you look upon us with kindness and love. And uh, we just know that we're welcome in your presence, God. And we welcome you here this morning as well. I pray that you would um, be here with us and that we would hear your words this morning. Um, We'd have you on our hearts. Amen. Amen. So um, before we get into the candles, I just thought I'd mention a few things that have gone on this week, um, just to sort of make us think about the world we're living in. So um, most of you probably heard about shootings in Strasbourg, uh, in the Christmas market there. Um, Four people were killed and there's been another of the victims declared brain dead, so probably will go up to five at some point. Um, I've also heard on the news that Donald Trump, the leader of the free world, uh, his lawyer has admitted to corruption and been imprisoned for it, and uh, there's been a bit of a spat going on between them. Um, we've also had our own kind of political merry-go-round with like Brexit and Theresa May almost being kicked out and then coming back in. And, uh, and in, in amongst all of that, hogging the headlines, um, I don't know if you are aware of Yemen and the conflict that's been going on there uh, for quite some time now, actually. Um, they say that uh, there's nearly 18 million people now that are without food on a day-to-day basis there and are just completely reliant on aid, which is just an insane number. You know, that's like getting towards half of our entire country. In fact, I think it is over half of their country. Um, but they've managed to agree a ceasefire in one of their key port cities. That's like a little bit of good news, so they can start getting aid to people. But that <laughs> didn't really get into our headlines. I had to kind of really search that out um, to find that out. And I was just kind of when you when you Google the news, what you tend to get is the bad news. Um, that tends to be what is on our headlines, and it's hard I think to um, know what our response is supposed to be so it definitely evokes fear for me or it can lead you just to kind of feel like you need to ignore it because it's just too much to cope with Um, it can be quite confusing um, leave you feeling a bit sort of paralysed and it's in that context that this week we're we're lighting the third candle which is the one that's a different colour pink which is called the Gaudete candle or rejoice candle so Gaudete is rejoice in Latin which I think is quite difficult sometimes to feel like you know what what do we rejoice about when we can be so aware of suffering and things that are hard around us and I think to ask to tell ourselves to rejoice um, can feel a bit forced or fake at times Um, well I certainly struggle with that Um, but at the same time, it, it's really important that we do hold on to hope mm. and that we do mm. find ways of, find joy, find ways of rejoicing. Um, and I kind of was thinking a bit about it and just sort of 
came across this idea that joy and compassion don't have to be exclusive. So we can see people suffering and we can feel for them and empathise for them. But we don't have to lose our joy at the same time. And it, I think our we can be very sort of dualistic and it's like we're either with them in grief or we've got joy. Um, and it can feel like it's hard to have both at the same time. But it doesn't. they don't have to be exclusive. Um, we can weep with those who weep um, but also we can still have hope within that situation um, which is what the so this uh, we're, we're looking at the lectionary readings as we're doing this kind of series on Advent and um, the first one that I'm going to read is from Philippians 4 and it's quite a well known verse so it's Philippians 4 verses 4 to 7 and it says rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So Paul was writing this. You know, he had a fairly tough ministry, I'd say, you know, in prison. I think he was awaiting uh, judgment in Rome, they think, when he was writing this letter to the Philippians. Um... But here he is encouraging the Philippians to rejoice um, in, in kind of whatever circumstance they're in. And I, I don't doubt that he meant it. I don't think he's just writing it. You know, I don't think he's forcing himself to write it or trying to G himself up. There was something in him, something that was kind of alive, that just kept him full of that kind of like joy that kept him going, that gave him that energy, um, which... I don't feel like I have <laughs> all the time <laughs> sometimes on better days um, and it, I, I, can, I can read a verse like that rejoice in the Lord always again I would say rejoice and I just kind of think okay I'll try <laughs> you know and lift my hands and shout a bit or something and it, but again it's like you know, can it feel can feel a bit forced and it can work I think to do that to kind of stir yourself up um, but it's important that it isn't just positive thinking because that, I think that can um, very easily be quite short-lived. It's not like a sustainable approach to joy. Um, it's very kind of inward-focused, introspective to just think happy thoughts, just to think positive all the time. Um, and also it's very uh, individual and it doesn't really rely on community at all. Um, and I think that that would not be the way... Paul is talking about it um, and actually we'll, we'll read through it again and see that actually he, he is explaining how to rejoice in the rest of the verse so um, if we just go back to it, verse 4 again it says rejoice in the Lord always again I'll say rejoice and then his next sentence let your gentleness be known to all men so it's almost like rejoice in the Lord always okay well, what does that really mean let your gentleness be known to all men so part of this rejoicing is about turning yourself outwards having that attitude of that's alright kind of like kindness towards people, I don't know in in my translation it says gentleness has anyone else got a different word there yeah, mine says reasonableness Reasonableness. okay, it's not quite as exciting to me Um, I'm sure there's some that say graciousness Uh, it's Philippians 4 verse 5 it is. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Considerate. Okay. 
it's, it's quite like a all of those words are quite sort of soft words aren't they and they're words that I wouldn't normally put together with like joy or rejoice but um, it reminds me a bit of something that uh, I think it's Gandalf says in uh, Lord of the Rings about um, <laughs> I can't think of the whole quote off the top of my head but it's about like the, the little things making the big difference in the world mm-hmm. so you know gentleness considerateness kindness um, but those things actually by being mindful of those things the little things actually can make a big change overall mm-hmm. um, and then the, he then goes on to say uh, be anxious for nothing which again is kind of like well it's easy to say isn't it but how do you just be anxious for nothing yeah. it's like really helpful um, but obviously Paul is of a mind that he's managing to achieve that to not be anxious about other things um, and the way he then goes on to explain that is but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts mm-hmm. so yeah. his solution to anxiety is prayer and thanksgiving mm-hmm. so again it's this kind of like so prayer is actually quite a personal thing but when it's when it's a thanksgiving focused prayer it's actually quite outward mm-hmm. because you're not praying to God oh help me with my anxiety you're choosing to be thankful about things that are outside of yourself and actually it's kind of like taking you away from um, that kind of cycle of anxiety I think that's well that's how I read it um, as you come across it Um, and then interestingly this isn't actually technically part of the reading um, but the next verse after that verse 8 says finally brethren whatever things are true whatever things are noble whatever things are just whatever things are pure whatever things are lovely Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So it's like a kind of, you know, it's like three iterations again of like mm-hmm. when, when you're in that, when you're needing to rejoice, here's an idea, you know, just think of things that are good, think of things that are inspiring, look around you, you know, turn yourself outwards. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I, I kind of thought of that like, thinking about our community there's a lot of people for me something that um really inspires me is people that are involved in education because i feel like it's something that i would really struggle to do um being a teacher and looking after young people and all the stuff that they uh, all the stuff that they throw at you um and that i find that really inspiring and I'm, I'm really thankful for those people around me who do that sort of thing and i'm kind of like i don't feel like i would have the capacity to do that but I'm really thankful that I've got brothers and sisters who can, um, who can love people that way. And I'm inspired by that. Um, and we can also think of not just people in our own community, but around the world, people in history. Yeah. And of course, at this time of year, you know, the ultimate version of that is obviously Jesus yeah. and uh, the way that he reached out to like, the lost and the needy and the oppressed. Um, so there's some kind of ideas on how on where where rejoicing can come from Mm. in the context of suffering and difficult and grief and sorrow Mm. Um, the next reading then uh, is from Zephaniah 3 um, and it's verses 14 to 20 and it says this sing O daughter of Zion shout O Israel be glad and rejoice with all your heart O daughter of Jerusalem The Lord has taken away your judgments. He's cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. 
In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. So that's a fairly wordy bit of scripture there. You know, I would sum it up as encouraging us to rejoice again. But there's, again, there's like the sense in there of like, you know, he will quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with his singing. These, these kind of like, like softness of rejoicing yeah. that kind of goes against the... Uh, the violence of the world, I suppose, and kind of undermines it in that way. Um, so that's kind of the first half of the readings. Um, the second half, on the surface, seemed very, very different, and so I'm going to try and link them together. Um, so it's from Luke 3, um, and it's quite an offensive passage, passage of Scripture. Um, It's verses 7 to 18, but I'll just read the first three verses at first. Um, And this is John the Baptist uh, talking uh, in verse 7. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptised him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So it's a pretty uh, crushing start to a message, I would say. <laughs> He's saying this to, um, to Jewish people. Um, and the, the context of John the Baptist, is his message was, come and be baptised. Um, by you know washing you in the river for uh, the cleansing of sins and repent, um, which was a very different message to the thousands of years worth of Jewish thought on what it meant to be cleansed of sin and what righteousness looked like. Um, so I think you know there's a lot in what he's saying here. You know he's saying, "Do not begin to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father." So basically, forget your lineage. You know if you think that you're this kind of special exclusive club um, just because you can say that you uh, you know draw your lineage from Abraham I'm, I'm telling you it's meaningless um, and I think there's a real parallel sometimes in this with um, a, a cohort of Christians who would support someone like Donald Trump which just makes absolutely no sense to me um, because they, they, they justify his behaviour because he has the title of Christian, um, and it, you know, I feel like John would be saying this to them as well. Don't begin to say to yourselves, "We have the title of Christian." You know, for I say to you that God can raise up Christians from these stones. You know, um, the Jews had been looking at the Abrahamic promise um, the wrong way round. You know, it was supposed to be Abraham was have, having his offspring blessed to go out and. It was about fullness and overflow 
and blessing the whole world through this promise. But actually, it had become this kind of exclusive club. And also, rather than it being an overflow of blessing, it had become this like really difficult thing to be part of. There were all of these like barriers and burdens, and the Pharisees had added lots and lots of laws to the original laws, which were complex enough in themselves. So if you wanted to be part of the in crowd, then you had to have like a doctorate effectively in their special legal systems um, or you just had to take their word for it and do everything that they said so John's really kind of shaking that up and saying you know all of that is trash basically um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it really simple um, so in saying that in provoking them the next verse then they, they are provoked and they respond and it says so the people asked him this is verse 10 saying what shall we do then and he answered and said to them he who has two tunics let him give to him who has none he who has food let him do likewise then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him teacher what shall we do and he said to them collect no more than what is appointed for you likewise the soldiers asked him saying what shall we do so he said to them do not extort anyone or cheat by accusing falsely and be content with your wages. So, 2,000 years of law, you know, over 500 laws in the Pharisaic system. And here John is summing it up in kind of three <coughs> short statements, which if you, if you really get into the detail of what he's talking about, it is like, give your money away, give your money away, give your money away. That's kind of what it boils down to. Um, or not just money, but you know, material possessions. Um, it's really quite revolutionary. You know, normally their, their approach to the law would be completely different to this. Um, you know, there's so many hoops that they'd have to jump through. And he's just kind of doing away with all of it uh, in a few short statements. And also the people that he's saying it to is quite exceptional. Um, so I'm just going to look in a bit more detail at the three statements that he makes and who he says it to. Um, so there's the people ask, and then the tax collectors ask, and then the soldiers ask. And I'll do the soldiers first, because um, I find that the most interesting. So the soldiers um, were not Roman soldiers. Um, it's generally accepted that these would have been Jewish, Jewish service soldiers who were like kind of hired for effectively being like the police in the local area so they were kind of like military police um, that were listening to him they had a really bad reputation um, and there's two things that John says to them specifically one is don't extort people and the other one is don't uh, it might say bear fault wit false witness in fact it'd be interesting to know what your translations say um, I've got um, make false accusations make false accusations does it say extort in the first bit extort yeah, yeah don't extort money Someone else got a different word where it says extort I think blackmail, blackmail. In, in their translation some of them just say violence I think like don't do violence but the, the point is that the two words that he uses were um, were really well known things that, the, that soldiers would do in that time mm -hmm. and so extortion we know what extortion is which is basically um, getting money out of people under threat of violence and so the soldiers had a bad reputation for extorting poor people in particular. They would threaten them with violence and just literally take money off them. Um, or 
you know, the underhanded way is to say we'll offer to protect you, but you need to pay us, which is the same thing, threaten them with violence. In the Amplified it says, um, do not extort money from anyone, harass or blackmail anyone. There we go, yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty clear what he's getting at there. It's the Soros one. <laughs> but then the false accusation one, there isn't really a good translation for us because it's not something that uh, is common in our modern culture but what they would do this this particular word is effectively be informants but this was specifically against wealthy people so people that had a lot of money they would um, make up things about them or they would inform on them and be paid for it so you've got them exploiting the poor people through violence and then exploiting the wealthy people also through making up stories about them or informing on them and basically John's saying just stop doing both of those things rich or poor mm. there isn't an excuse for either of it um, and that's oh and then, oh, and then he says and, and be content with your wages so stop taking money and be satisfied with the money that you've got mm. the tax collectors um, we have heard probably a fair bit about them in various of the messages, Sire, I think, has talked about them quite a bit. Generally, tax collectors were the scum of society. You know, everyone hated tax collectors because they worked for the Romans um, and they effectively exploited all of the Jewish people by collecting the taxes for Rome, which was bad enough in itself, but then also collecting more than that to skim off some for themselves. Um, so the taxes were already burdensome and then they made it even worse. But... John doesn't say, stop being a tax collector. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say, you know, get out of that job, that horrendous job that everyone hates. All he says is, don't collect more than you're supposed to. It's actually like quite an easy target that he's setting for them, yeah. um, which is quite remarkable. And I think a lot of people would have expected him to be much more strongly rebuking the tax collectors and the soldiers. Um, but he doesn't really do that. Actually, he was much harsher on just the Jews in general because of their Abrahamic lineage claim um, than any specific behaviours of these people so then the last one which goes back to the start um, the people, so the people asked which was the first question and what he says to them is give to people that need it and it's really simple it's so simple that I think we can kind of miss it because it's not just John's idea it's also carried through in Jesus' teaching and it's also the way the early church like the Acts community behaved um, so and he says effectively give 50% of everything that you have you know, Jesus says sell everything you have and give it all away um, so John you know if you've got £100 in your hand and you know someone that doesn't have anything give them 50 um, we can probably in our minds cope with that I don't know, £50 to me is a kind of like not money that I would want to lose on, on any given day, but it's also money that I'd be willing to, to pass on. Um, but what if it's, you know, 10 grand that you've got in the bank that you've been saving up for something special, a holiday or a car, yeah. but you know someone that hasn't got anything? Mm. You know, John is saying, mm. if you've got two tunics, give one of them away. There's no, there's no exceptions to it. There's no special circumstances that one of them's your summer coat, one of them's a winter coat. It's just, it's just simple. Just give it away. 
And I think that's actually, I think the reason we miss it is because actually it's really hard. It seems so simple, but it's actually really, really challenging if we think about it properly. Um, it's, very, it's very challenging, especially now when, it, when we're in an age of abundance and really gluttony when it comes to belongings. Mm. You know, um, we see people who are in need and we say, we've got so much that we could. We don't need no. probably half of the stuff that we have. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That we've got, and uh, yeah. and there's that like keeping up with the Joneses mentality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is really strong, like yeah, yeah. yeah. And particularly around Christmas time. Yeah, that's why I think this is really relevant at this time yeah. of year. Yeah. Um, so, like immediately when I kind of think about this challenge my mind is searching for ways out you know where can I draw the line where I can say that's enough how far do I have to take this to be okay Um, and I haven't got an answer to that Uh, I think in the when he speaks to tax collectors and the soldiers it's more about um, being happy with what being yeah contentment yeah with what you've got mm. and not not the, the sort of in those days they you know tax collectors knew what they had to but there wasn't the communication around so they could communicate whatever tax they wanted to mm-hmm. pull on anyone but it's about being just yeah in in yeah. dealing with everyone yeah, yeah yeah and i think i think that mentality in our in how we operate mm-hmm. You know, is something that we should always, you know, mm. yeah, uh, you know, be forefront in what we do. Yeah, yeah, to have a just mentality, be content with what what God has provided for us, and know that God has provided that, and therefore out of that we give. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's no, a really, it's a good point. Um, so when I'm I'm challenged by asking myself, um, how far do I have to take this for it, for it to be enough? But I think a, a good alternative question to ask yourself is, how far can I take this? So rather than, how far do I have to go for it to be enough? is just to keep asking yourself, can I go a bit further? Yeah. Can I do a bit more? Because I think it's very hard for us to just walk away today and everyone just give half of everything we own. You know, I think it's an unrealistic I know that I won't be doing that um, but but it is what is being asked uh, that that kind of level of um, understanding what's enough and having having enough to meet our needs and not needing to keep having more and more and more which is what our culture encourages us to do so move on to the last part of the verse uh, verse 15 now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, um, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptise you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. So, I mean, there's a lot of 
pretty nuts metaphors in there, like burning people. <laughs> it's not burning. It doesn't specifically say burning people with unquenchable fire, but um, he's talking about wheat. But I think for me, the point of that part is very similar to the first part. It's a provocation. Mm-hmm. He's saying to these people, you know, don't think that like everything is fine just because you're part of the the Jewish community or whatever. You know, this isn't the point. There's actually there's a bigger call here that has nothing to do with your lineage, um, and and I'm not the Christ, but He is coming after me, and you know He will He will point that out to you quite clearly. And Jesus did. You know, there's the parables of the sheep and the goats and stuff, and it's a very different set of expectations to be living in His kingdom in the way of eternal life that Jesus puts on people than what they thought they needed to do. Um, so again, it's that kind of provocation, that stirring up of people to, to snap them out of that, uh, that mentality. So that's the second half. So the first half was about rejoicing. The second half is about giving, effectively, sacrificial, and, and I think coming in a kind of opposite spirit to consumerism, which is very relevant to this, this time of year. Um, yeah. So... We can be very aware of suffering around us at Christmas if we're mindful of that because it seems like the time of year where everything is polarised. You've got the people, the haves, where everything's good and they're enjoying all of their consumption and their family time and then you've got the have-nots and it's like, it's Christmas, this is not fair that they don't have at this time of year. Um, and at the same time, it's very easy to be drawn into the have world um, and to say, oh, let's just treat ourselves a bit. You know, it's okay to be a bit more luxurious around Christmas. It's Christmas after all. Um, so there's a real challenge in that, I think, to try and think differently um, than the way we would automatically, if we just, you know, follow the flow of what the world is trying to put onto us. Um, I don't think that we're like that here, which is good. Um, but I know that that desire is really really easily creeps in Um, so my encouragement is that we don't let this be a time for taking but a time for giving and sharing and keep asking that question how far can I go rather than how far do I have to go how far can I go how much can I go without so that someone else doesn't have to Um, and then there's just uh, this poem I came across by a guy called um, St John of the Cross um, which I thought uh, kind of explains this in a, in a really interesting way in my mind. So it says this. Um, it's called the Advent Poem. If you want, the Virgin will come walking down the road, pregnant with the Holy, and say, I need shelter for the night. Please take me inside your heart. My time is so close. Then under the roof of your soul, you will witness the sublime intimacy, the divine, the Christ, taking birth forever, as she grasps your hand for help. For each of us is the midwife of God, each of us. Yes, there under the dome of your being does creation come into existence eternally, through your womb, dear pilgrim, the sacred womb of your soul, as God grasps our arms for help. For each of us, his beloved servant, never far. If you want, the virgin will come walking down the street, pregnant with light and sing. I just found that really powerful this image of like as we kind of as we do this as we meet the needs of those who are suffering this idea of like 
if we put ourselves in that story, if we were the innkeeper on that day, you know, being the midwives to God in in caring for the needy and for the lost. Um, a really powerful picture, I thought. And it, so, as we as we see suffering, as we see need, as we're moved with kindness and allow joy to take the place of despair, as we care for those in, that are in need, we're we're kind of we're bringing Christ to birth in those situations, uh, which is exactly what God Himself did. He gave everything. He humbled Himself in the vulnerability of a baby and entered into our sufferings. Um, and the last line of the poem, after all of that kind of like visceral idea of like being grasped by the Virgin's hand and uh, being a midwife to Christ, it just ends with "and sing." So there's that connection again between the the giving, the sacrifice, and then the joy that comes at the end of it. It's like the painful process, but it, the conclusion of it is joy. So uh, that's it. So I'm just going to pray to finish. Jesus, as we um, consider joy today and rejoicing, um, help us not to try and fake joy in the in, in ignorance of the world around us and the suffering that surrounds us, but give us eyes of hope that we would also be inspired by the good that surrounds us and be moved with compassion to follow in your way of sacrifice, God. Help us to see how much we have and give us the courage to challenge ourselves, trusting and relying on you rather than our own material security and thank you that you humbled yourself in the most extreme way so we know that we have nothing to fear in doing the same help us to follow your way and continue giving birth to joy amen Amen. that was fairly fairly quick today Just start. Would you be ready? Mm-hmm.